for the word. Uh, last week, last week we had uh, an amazing, uh, yet an unusual experience. How many of you here were last week as we began our new series uh, on mental health? For the next two months, uh, August, we're in August, right? Yeah. Is it August? It's still August. It's actually, the year is almost over, which is amazing, right? Um, for August and September, our focus is going to be primarily focused on the mind. On what, everybody? Mind. On the mind. And so our, our theme is get your mind right. Somebody say that with me. Get your mind right. Come on, sound it again. Say, get your mind right. And so last week, uh, man, we had a great conversation with some Christian mental health professionals that were with us. Those of you that were blessed by that last week, just lift your hands right now for that conversation. We praise the Lord for that. I just want to say this as I begin this message today, what may, may or may or not be considered a sermon or a message today, you will see what I'm talking about in a few moments. Um, there is some materials. One of the things that we want to be, uh, that we want to be very intentional about is we're trying to remove the shame and the stigma and the negativity off of the idea of mental health or mental illness. I want everybody to hear me very clearly. We want to create an environment and a space in our community, in our church, where it's okay to acknowledge and to admit and to confront and to work on and to deal with the thing that has become the big, the big white elephant in our living rooms that nobody wants to talk about. And one of the things I've discovered is, is in our church in particular, as I've said before, it is much easier to talk about uh, diet. It's much easier to talk about how much, yeah, what is it, eight glasses? Now it's about 10 glasses of water that we should drink, whether we should be plant-based or not. Am I a vegetarian? Am I a vegan? Do I eat meat? Am I a flexitarian? Come on, let the flexitarian say amen in here. Uh, am I plant-based? And I'd like to suggest to you that I think and we, and, we, and we are a church that believes in healthy lifestyle, and you'll see the importance of healthy lifestyle when you look at one's total health. However, an area that we have not given much attention to, an area that we haven't talked about a lot, is just this notion of mental health. And I think part of the reason is, is I think we think it's only a small population of people's problems. And what motivates this message, this conversation that we're going to have today is a question that was asked last week. I actually even had to pivot my message. But it was a question that was asked, and because I was not a panelist, I didn't answer. I, I've, I've learned that when it's my turn to speak, I speak. And, and the question was, is, does everybody need counseling? Now, I know everybody has their own opinion. Our panelists gave their own opinion about that. But I just want to be very, very, very clear as to where Pastor Edmund stands on this. Does every single breathing person need therapy? And I think the answer to that question is 100% yes. Absolutely, positively. And it is not based on the extremes of what we call, and, and, and God help me to stop using this pejorative terminology. We got to stop calling people crazy. All right? Like, it's based on the fact that all of us were born in sin, right? right? Yeah, and the number one thing that is diseased, listen to me now, this is Bible, I'm just going Bible, I'm not a psychologist, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher, all right? 
the number one thing that is diseased in humanity after sin was the brain. It is from the brain that every single thing, all of our behavior, our feelings, our character is formed and shaped in our minds. When we talk about our heart, when the Bible talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible is not talking about the, the physical heart that we have right here in our chest. The Bible is talking about the heart or the mind, our minds. And the Bible says this in the book of Jeremiah. It says the heart is, is totally sick. It is full of sores. Who can know it? And if you, I don't care what kind of family that you were born into or what your circumstance was, if you were born on the right side of the tracks or the left side of the track, listen, I just want to get this out in the open. This is the answer to that question. Does everybody need some kind of therapy? All right? And I'm going to define the different kinds of therapy, all right? The answer to that question is, is if you are serious, listen to me right now. If you are serious about growing as a person, if you are not afraid to see the real truth about who you are, where you came from, and how you can overcome inherited, inherited tendencies, predispositions to various things, ways of thinking, generational cycles, if you are at all interested, I was going to ask the question, who is interested in being totally healthy? If you are interested in being totally healthy, then you ought to consider not only being concerned about your physical health, but you ought to be concerned about your mental health as well. And so my definition of therapy is exactly what I've been having to deal with as of late, which is why I'm trying to sit down. It's not that I can't walk. I'm just trying not to put too much pressure on a surgically repaired knee where I had a torn meniscus. Now, the illustration was used, and I think one of our, uh, one of our panelists said this. If, 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 if y'all saw the pastor, some of y'all have said this to me. He said, Pastor, you know, you get off your feet. Stop picking up stuff. My wife's telling me all the time, right? But if... But if, if I really want to get better, not only must I have surgery, right, but, but, but what's the thing I need to be doing right now? Somebody tell me. I need to be going to physical therapy. I haven't been to physical therapy in two weeks for good reason. I was on vacation one week, and then something happened last week. I can't recall. Oh, yeah, I was taking my kids to school, right? Yeah. So I've been to physical therapy. And I can feel the difference in my knee that I haven't been to physical therapy. I can feel the difference. And it, it just occurred to me that the brain also is a muscle. But it's a, but, it's, but it's a much more complicated muscle. It's much more complicated. There's chemicals that are involved in it. And, and a lot of times we superstitiously look at our thoughts and we simply either categorize people based on extremes. They are crazy or they are sane. And the truth of the matter is, what I'm saying is, if you were born in sin, more than likely you have brain problems. Your ways of viewing life are flawed. The ways in which you view yourself are flawed. You have blind spots. And I think we do a disservice when we only target and focus on individuals that are schizophrenic or individuals that have bipolar. We're not, we're not castigating them at all. But many of you, and this is my concern, I told this to all the panelists afterwards. I said, I'm glad y'all covered that because there's some things I want to say to my congregation. There are many of us who feel like we don't fit in any of those categories, and some of you need to go and actually see somebody 
to determine if you fit in those categories. Some of you have determined you don't, but others around you are concerned about your behavior. But let's just say, I don't, you're saying, I don't fit in any of those categories. Okay, the, the problem with that is, is if you don't fit in the extremes, then you actually feel that you are 100% healthy in an area that we know biblically everybody is sick in. Everybody. Repeat this after me. I am sick in the head. Everybody is. Let's do it right now. Has anybody ever done anything, have you ever done anything that you knew was wrong, but you did it anyway? Raise your hand. Right, it's amazing. It, people don't even want to raise their hands on this. I want max participation because it will help somebody. If you sit next to somebody and they, they don't see you raise your hand, they might feel like that you you on some old next level, right? Let's try it again. Has anybody ever, and I'm gonna, I'm, let's add something to it. Has anybody ever done something repeatedly that you know is not right? How many have done that? All right. Why are you doing that? Because I know what you'll say, and this is not a, this is not a, uh, this is not a scientific definition. So all the, all the people who are in mental health uh, may have, take issue with this. This is not scientific, but this is what I've heard y'all say. I've seen y'all post it. I've seen you repeat it. I don't know where it came from. But people have said that the definition of insanity is repeating the same behaviors over and over again, expecting a different result. Now, I want to try this again. Is there anybody in here who, who currently, as we speak, repeats behaviors over and over again that you know are injurious to you, they're injurious to other people? You say to yourself, this doesn't even make any sense. I don't understand why I do the things that I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I say I'm not going to do, I find myself doing. Is there anybody here that can agree with Paul and recognize right now that I got a problem? Now, your problem, your problem is a spiritual problem, but there is no spirituality without a brain. And our spiritual issue is so complex that it's not just this invisible thing that takes place either with the devil or with the Holy Spirit, but our spiritual issue is so deep that literally there are grooves in your brain that have been patterned to behave and repeat and, and constantly repeat doing the same things you've been doing over and over again. There are some of you that no matter what you do, if you don't go and get help, therapy, if you don't go and talk with somebody, if you don't stay in it on a regular basis, constantly working on yourself, if you don't constantly look at ways to improve you and see the insecurities and the shortfalls and the blind spots, if you do not do that, if you don't take that seriously, then many of you are going to find, your find yourself in a place that you never expected to find yourself. And you will ask yourself, how did I get here? The problem is, is if you don't make a decided, a decided, a decided resolve that I don't want to walk in darkness about who I am as a person, but I want to have total exposure to who I am as a person so that I can be totally healthy, not only in my body, but in my mind. And here's the, here's the crazy thing about it, and this is, is crucial for us because we're really health conscious. Do y'all realize that the number one thing that kills people is not what they eat? There's two emotions that are killing people. Unforgiveness and anger. 
and one that falls shortly thereafter is fear. And all these things create this thing that you go call, call stress. That will kill you. That will kill you more than a donut will. As a matter of fact, the reason why, anybody, any donut folk, the reason why you, the reason why you self-medicate on food is because there's something wrong up here. There's a re- Listen, there's some of you, no matter what you do, you are going to end up dating the wrong people every time. You are predisposed. It doesn't matter how many sermons you hear on dating. You are going to go and get a relationship with the wrong person every time. Doesn't matter how much you pray. Oh, come on. Nobody wants to talk to me. It doesn't matter how much you pray. Doesn't matter what your theology is. You are going to end up in the wrong, in the wrong relationship if you do not target the invisible spots in your life you can't see by putting yourself in a vulnerable place where somebody helps you to see yourself. It amazes me. People say, well, I prayed about this thing and I don't understand why I ended up where I did. And I just believe that God sometimes has to use our bad decisions to, to, to help us to be able to see some stuff that we would not have ordinarily seen unless we crashed and burned, unless we hit rock bottom, unless we got divorced. I really do believe that, that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. I don't believe that God plans for us to go through the things we go through, but I think God knows that we are predisposed to end up in certain places no matter what unless we target our brokenness and our unhealthiness when it comes to the state of our minds. And one of the dangers that I'm realizing when it comes to this whole stigma of mental health is the shame that we attach with it. And if you attach shame to this thing, just like we do with sexual sin or any other sin, the minute you put shame on it is the minute that people will will not want to acknowledge that they have a problem in this area. They will not confront it, and we will all remain sick. But I'm about to expose all of us today, myself included. And I just want to come out here and say this. I'm Pastor Edmonds, and I have, and listen, a a therapist... A therapist will help you. My first time in ministry, I went and got therapy last year. Listen, and need to go in some more. Come on, say amen, somebody. It will bless your life. Many of you don't have close friends that you can talk to, so you definitely need therapy. And you especially don't have people who who you are willing to be so vulnerable with. Because the truth of the matter is, is, our healing is in our ability to be vulnerable. To be able to actually go there. Somebody say go there. (laughs) There are places in our lives right now where our brain has been trained not to go there. Because we are ashamed of who we are. We're ashamed of stuff we've done. We're ashamed of people that we're protecting. We're ashamed of our story. And if you remove the shame off this thing, and I'm just praying by God's grace that we can take shame off of it. Understand now that shame is not of God. Shame was a result of sin. It was not God's purpose that we walk around hiding. And shame only causes one kind of behavior. It creates liars. It creates people who pretend. It creates people who run from stuff. And they may run into relationships. They may run into drugs. They may run into work. They might run into shopping. Whatever the maladaptive behavior it is that they use to self-medicate, everybody in here, if you are not targeting, if you are not doing the work of working on your thoughts and your mind and those things on the inside, if you are not doing that, then in fact, you are perpetuating your unhealthiness. 
And the older you become, there's even research now that's saying Alzheimer's and dementia is connected to keeping secrets. I want to show you a quick story, and then everybody that came in here should have gotten one of these uh, or, uh, or, this, or this piece of paper. If we're going to really do mental health, let's do it. You're in school today. We'll, pre we'll preach at the revival, but today I want to help somebody. And this is critical that we see this. So I want everybody to get your hand in the air because we're getting ready to go through an exercise. And let me say this on the front end. When we do this exercise, if you don't do the exercise, you're going to make somebody else feel shame. Okay. I'm not going to tell you all about it. If you don't do the exercise, your lack of participation might make somebody feel shame. Okay? So if you don't have one, raise your hand right now. All right? And we'll go through it momentarily. Now, I'm giving, to, I'm giving this to you now to save time, but I'm trusting you that as I try to set it up, that you won't spend all your time reading it. Amen. And that you'll listen to the word. Somebody shout amen. amen. Uh, turn it over. Like a teacher, a teacher says, like when you get a test, turn it over. Amen. amen. How many have it? Raise your hand. All right. What I should have said this. How many don't have it? Raise your hand. If you don't have it, quickly, can we get some more help? They're getting more out. It's coming. All right, good. As it comes... Let me know. Pins are coming too. Let's just do this now. Let's get this out of the way. How, how, how soon were they, how, where are they going? Did they run out? Okay. All right. Everybody needs to have this. All right. All right. While we're waiting on that, while we're waiting on that, I want to show you something. Let's go, let's go to our scripture today. And we're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and chapter 9, all right? 2 Samuel chapter 4 and chapter 9. Raise your hand if you need a copy. I'm just asking you that you be a good class today and that everybody will participate, amen? amen. Everybody gets an A for participation. Failure is not participating at all. And the reason why I want to keep emphasizing this is if you participate, you might, your participation today will help to free somebody, I promise you that. Your participation today, if you do this thing today, it will help one person in this room. I know it will. I know it will. It won't go right if, if, unless everybody helps out. All right? All right. Who still needs one? Raise your hand. All right. It will be here. All right? So just, oh, we still have a few coming. A few coming. All right. Hands up if you need one. If you need a pen, too. Is that another issue? Do we need everybody with pens? Who needs a pen? Raise your hand. Let's get this out the way. Everybody who needs a pen. Anybody got an extra pen? That sounds like it's cool. Anybody got an extra pen? Help somebody with a pen. Help somebody out. Some of y'all know y'all got pens in there. Take your pen out and give it to somebody. Raise your hand if you still need a pen. All right? And, and, and don't fill it out. Let, uh, Pastor Kim, who, who was a school teacher, um, come on, help, help me out, uh, Pastor. They should not fill it out while, while, the, no. while the lesson is going. All right? Turn it over. Turn it over. Turn it over and wait till the time. Some of y'all can't help it. Temptation is getting the best of you. Now, y'all, be obedient. I just told you, don't do it. And some of y'all still hear it. But see, the mind, the mind is deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Pastor told me not to look at it, but I can't help myself. 
Some of y'all peeking right now. Some of you have already started to fill it out. Don't do it. All right. Huh? <laughs> I say give a thumbs up. All right. How many people still do not have a, uh, a handout or a pen? Raise your hand. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let the church say amen. amen. All right. Let's drop this word on you real quick so you'll understand what we're trying to accomplish today. 2 Samuel chapter 4 is a metaphor that we're going to use today uh, to, to describe the mental health scenario that many of us are going through, myself included. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. Uh, if you uh, see it on the screen, somebody shout, I see, it. I see it. All right, let's go together. Y'all read with me uh, until you get to the, to, to the big names that you can't pronounce. Amen? Amen? Don't mess that up. All right, verse 4 of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, Saul's son, Jonathan, come on, had a son named Mephibosheth. Somebody shout Mephibosheth. Say Mephibosheth. Come on, black people. M them lips are getting in the way. Mephibosheth. Now say it real fast seven times and see if you speak in tongues. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or you might cuss if you say it too many times. All right? Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a, as a child. He was five years old together when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the what? She picked him up and did what? But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. All right, now let's go to uh, chapter 9 of the same book. The Bible says, one day David asked, and I'll read this in your hearing. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2, uh, he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am Ziba. Uh, Ziba replied. Verse 3. Then the king, the king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them, Ziba replied. Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodibar. Somebody shout Lodibar. Lodibar. Somebody's in Lodibar right now. And by the grace of God, we're going to pull you out of Lodibar. Amen. I don't know what Lodibar means. I didn't have time to look it up, but it just don't sound good. Lodibar. Come on. In a low place. Amen. That's not exegesis. Come on. How many? In a low place. Ziba told him at the, at the home of Mikar, son of Amiel. Now, verse 5. Here the story unfolds. So David sent for him. And brought him from Akir's home, verse 6, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, help me, Lord. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. The Bible says, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. They know that boy that, that boy that came up from Lodabar, amen? 
Verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and claimed, who is your servant? I'm saying that right now. That's what I think about the goodness of God, that you should show such kindness to a dead dog. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. All right. So we just want to talk about drops. Okay, so let me just give you a background. So most of you guys know that Saul, King Saul, was the first, come on Bible students, he was the first king of Israel. Now, we all know that there should have never been a king of Israel, but Israel started looking at the other nations and said, man, we want a king like theirs, and they got what they asked for. How many know Saul ended up, he is probably one of the, one of the best cases in the Bible of not only letting the enemy take control of him, but of experiencing some serious mental health issues. The Bible says he experienced paranoia, schizophrenia. He literally lost his mind, and the Bible says that he had to get young boy David to come and to play. How many thank God for music and how music can be a blessing to your soul and get your mind right? Amen? And so David would go and play, and of course, we know that during that time, there were, a transition began to take place. Listen to me, everybody. A transition began to take place because God says, listen, I, I got to show you somebody else. This dude is full of pride. Saul, he is. He is desirous of power. His insecurities have gotten the best of him. And, and the Lord says, this is really a setup for David. He says, I need to find me a man that is after my own heart. And so David comes along on the scene. And we know that for a great period of time, David was on the run because of Saul's reckless insecurities. Because he didn't do the work, because he didn't listen, he literally ended up losing his mind. And the Bible says that in battle, in battle, in a civil war, the word of God says that, Saul ended up taking his own life, and his son Jonathan, who was David's what, y'all, was his best friend, ended up dying. David made a covenant with Jonathan long before their death as best friends and said, listen, man, when I get to the throne, he says, man, I'm going to cover your family. Fast forward, David finally gets, uh, gets the throne secured. I mean, if anybody's ever watched Game of Thrones, you all know that part of securing the throne is killing everybody that looks like they're one of your enemies. Amen, somebody? And so David really, before he, as he was securing the throne, he was removing all the threats that existed in connection with Saul. And so finally, David got to a place where he had total security in the kingdom. And so he began to think of the goodness of God. He began to think of where God brought him from. I don't know if I got any help in here. How many ever just get in that place? You, may, you might be in your car, you might be in your house. And you just start getting flooded with memories of where God's brought you from. And the goodness of God just begins to come to your mind. And this is really what happens, what ought to happen when the goodness of God comes to your mind. You think, now how can I bless somebody else? And so he remembered, I made a promise. The Bible says that he says, man, go and find Jonathan's relatives. Now, I, I got I to tell the whole story on David. And, and a good preacher helped me to understand this because I had been preaching it the wrong way. All this time, I thought that David was just being a good guy and wanted to help out little Mephibosheth who couldn't walk. But what I realized is Jonathan actually had more sons. He had seven other children, and you'll find and discover in, uh, I think, the chapter 21 of the same book that David ended up killing and wiping those folks out. There's a reason why David brought Mephibosheth to his table and didn't bring Jonathan's other kids. 
because even in David, there was still some insecurities. He brought someone that would not be a threat to his throne. I know it makes for real good preaching. I, you know, we talk, we love, oh, 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 Mephibosheth, you know, with that old messed up name. It's down in Lodibar. Real low. Come on, say amen, somebody. And, and, and David, in his kindness and his grace and his mercy, that makes good preaching, doesn't it? Saw old Mephibosheth down there at the bottom. Huh? And went and got him and brought him and sat him at his table for the rest of his life. Yes, part of that is true. He did keep his covenant to Jonathan, but he didn't bring all of Jonathan's kids. He brought the cripple that was not going to be a threat to his kingdom. Now, what's interesting to me is how Mephibosheth got crippled in the first place. The Bible basically says that Mephibosheth got crippled on account of his grandfather Saul's reckless war that he got involved with to the effect that it caused his nurse that was caring for the five-year-old Mephibosheth to take off running. I want you to see how your behavior affects the behaviors of others. So it was really because of Saul's egotistical, I'm talking about mental health issues, that created an environment of war, of division, of battle, and of chaos to where the nurse had to pick up and run and flee for her life. And while she's running, follow me, y'all, she trips and stumbles because she is not able to carry, she does not have the strength to carry this five-year-old boy, and she ends up dropping him, and now he is broken for the rest of his life. And I believe, and I just want to introduce that this is not, this is just an illustration, right? I believe that illustrates how many of us have, have received the mental health issues that we have, the propensities that we have, the blind spots we have. Watch this now. There are things that have happened to you, right? that have happened by other people and you're holding grudge against them. Somebody molested you. Somebody abused you. A parent neglected you. A father was absent from your life. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is what they did to you was wrong. The way they treated you was evil. And you are the person you are right now, not simply because, hear me now, you didn't just choose to be this person. I'm talking about your foundation, your foundation of your character. You did not choose that character. That character was an inheritance that you got from your parents. And listen now, it doesn't even matter how, how you know, I used to think, man, I come from a pastor's home, and, and, and you know, we're pastor's family, that we legit had no problems. But the truth of the matter is, as I began to get older, I started seeing things in me. I started seeing a marriage is a good way to, to help you to see stuff in you. Or having kids. That's just for my testimony. Some of you see yourself in other ways. But I began to see things about myself. I legit thought that I was better than my wife. I did. Yes, I did. I thought, I thought my upbringing was better than hers. And I was going to essentially fix her and help her to come alongside and be healthy like me. But being with her helped me to see how unhealthy I was. Right? And so as I began to discover, hear my story now, as I began to discover, Raw, some of the unhealthiness in me, I started building up resentment and bitterness towards my parents and, and towards their family, feeling like, now, why, 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 would they, why would they create an environment where I would turn out the way I am, right? But the truth of the matter is, is not only did I get dropped, they got dropped too. 
Let me tell you a quick story. I'm reading a book right now. The name of the book is The Boy Who Thought He Was a Dog. All right? It's a, it's, it's a book about childhood trauma, all right? It's a phenomenal book. If you're interested in improving and reading and learning in this subject, read this book. I'm not sure if I got the title correctly, but it's something like that. The Boy Who, who Thought He Was a Dog, all right? In the book, they tell a story about a young man, now brace yourselves, about a young man who was 14 years old who killed a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old girl because they would not have sex with him. Basically, they were in an apartment building. He saw the two of them. He flirted with them. They, both, they all went up into an apartment, and the story is, is that they said they did not want to have sex with them. He murdered them first by strangulation and by stabbing. We're talking about a 14-year-old. Open up your minds here. A 14-year-old murdered a 12- and a 13-year-old by strangulation and stabbing. After he did that, he then raped their dead corpse. And so the psychologist, as he's visiting with this kid in prison, trying to analyze where did this come from, follow me now, he, he began to realize, I need to go and talk with his parents. Come to discover, and this is the problem I think a lot of us make, we look at families and we look at various things about families, socioeconomic status, how much money they make, how educated they are, you know, what neighborhood they live in, and we assume they must be healthy. But how many know that's a lie right there? I'm just going to help you out right now. There's no family out there that's not dysfunctional. None. And socioeconomic status has, is no indicator to how dysfunctional that you are or not dysfunctional you are. So this was amazing to me, and just, just follow the story. As the psychologist began to probe of the parents, he recognized that they were working-class people, church-going Christians from a small town. And so in the conversation, he noticed that only the father was speaking, only the father and the oldest son, the, uh, the, 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 the predator's oldest, uh, uh, oldest brother. And, and only the father and the son would speak. And the whole time, it seemed as if they were trying to protect the mother from speaking. So as they began to further investigate, it was discovered that this family lived in a rural part of the country, and they were surrounded by extended family members. And these extended family members supported them when this child was born. When both of the children were born, the mother did not have the great responsibility of having to raise the children all by herself. They had a community around to help buttress her weaknesses. So uh, what happened is, is the father lost his job, and then they had to move to the big city. When they moved to the big city, child number two is born. When child number two is born, the murderer, when child number two is born, he no longer has the environment of the extended family and the support system to help out the mother in raising the children. This is what blew my mind. Came to discover that the mother really had some mental health challenges that the whole community had been protecting and that nobody actually targeted to deal with. So that when, they, when the family was all by themselves in the projects of the inner city, the father was at work all day, this mother was left with this four-year-old son and this infant child that was crying all the time, that had needs. They kept emphasizing the baby cried all the time. She didn't know what to do. So what she would do is she would take the four-year-old child and they would go to the library, they would go to museums, and she left the infant at home all by himself, all day long, until he was about two or three years old. 
He was totally abandoned. Now, most of you know this, and I don't want to get too deep, but most of you know uh, that, that all the studies that have been done, that if a baby, especially in the infant and developmental stages, does not receive the kind of affection and empathy and touch that is needed for its not only emotional development, but there is physical and health connections. We know that a child will die if that child is not touched. And so the psychologist, let me just speed along, basically came to the conclusion that this child never had empathy built in him because his mother that had mental health challenges did not ever raise him but left him and abandoned him all by himself. Man, I begin to think about that thing. And I said, man, how common is that in our community? It may not be to that extent or to that extreme, but there are many of us, hear me now, there are many of us that have never received the basic kinds of love, affection, and attention that God designed that we would receive from our family of origin. And I'm telling you right now, even if both parents are, pre are, per are, are present, the truth is, is there is not one parent on the planet, I begin to think of my own children, whose parents did not give them an inheritance of dysfunction. But consider now that 70% of the homes in our communities have no father in it. And the truth of the matter is that a child gets his identity from the mother, but they get their sense of love from their father. Studies show love does not come from the mother. Love comes from the father. Identity comes from the mother. And so when you have whole families that are just, well, just, just, just steeped in this dysfunction, ways of doing things, way that we talk to each other. My wife and I were driving here, and we were just listening to some mother just cussing the mess out of her child. I was just like, there used to be a day that you wouldn't, I mean, that if you did cuss, come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, say amen, somebody. Some of y'all let some fly, and y'all trying to act holy right now. But, 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 but at least you knew that you don't let it fly in front of the children. But we're in a day and age now where there was abusive talk, abusive language that happens on a regular basis. That community that, we were, that, we're, that we're going to minister to, my wife and I were in the community just the other day, and it sounded like, it was just chaotic. Just listen, it was just chaos. I was just saying to myself, how do people live with a sane mind in this kind of chaos where there's gangs, where there's shooting, where there's violence, where you're seeing dead heads walking during the street at night? It is constantly traumatic to a person's psyche to live in that kind of environment. And you don't have to live in that extreme to have issues. No, you're not a murderer. No, you didn't rape anybody. But you have Serious unforgiveness issues, serious anger issues, serious bitterness issues. Many of you cannot form healthy relationships because you have never seen a healthy relationship. Many of you have trust issues that are so deep and so acute that you cannot, you, you have no way of bonding with anybody. Nobody really ever knows who you are. Honestly, there's some of you in here, there's not a person on the planet who knows who you really are. You live within your own thoughts. You live within your own mind. And you are constantly living this way. And there's nobody shining light on who you are. Because we built up a culture where it says it's not okay to have problems. And it's certainly not okay to have mental health challenges. Some of us are exceedingly narcissistic, exceedingly selfish. That's not normal. 
the way most of us think that the way we were raised is normal. Do y'all realize the only normal that there is is in Genesis chapter 2? When God created the world perfectly? Everything after Genesis chapter 2 is not normal. You are not normal. Let me just make just a, a few quick points about this. Mephibosheth got dropped because his dad got dropped. We don't know Saul's whole story, but something is missing with Saul. Something is absent in his relationships with people. Why is he so scared of losing power? Why is he so afraid of David? And how many know David's got issues? I mean, this is just the beginning of David. But David's own daddy, when the prophet came looking for sons to make a king, his own daddy didn't even, even acknowledge him. He asked him how many sons that he had, and he said, listen, I got seven, and there's this other little kid. <laughs> and, and Jesse, we, unfortunately, but this is a man of God. It's a spiritual man. Miss, I'm telling you, man, oh, just, let me just help you right now. Like, all of us in here inherited dysfunction. And so many of us, we attach so much blame to the people who preceded us, things that happened to us. And I'm not trying to gain from you uh, a sympathy. I'm not asking you to go and forgive nobody today, right? But what I am saying is this, is that nobody gets dropped unless somebody dropped them. And we need to stop judging our situations and judging the people of our situations. And we need to learn to accept, hallelujah, that broken people get to the table. Oh, y'all not hearing me now. Now, we know that David had the wrong motivation slightly for bringing Mephibosheth. He didn't bring the other kids. The other kids were in good health because they were a threat to his kingdom. But I got a spiritual message for you on this thing. It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. You get invited to the table based on your weaknesses, not based on your strengths. You get invited, you get invited to the abundance that God has for you when, when, when your ailment is so obvious that everybody knows you have a problem. But if you live in secrecy, if you live in hiding, if you're constantly trying to maintain this pretension that all is well, the truth of the matter is you don't get invited to the table. The Bible says it is, Kim said it in worship, she says it is in our weakness that we are made strong. The Bible says that he pours, he pours his, his overflow on those that are thirsty, those that are hungry for righteousness. It's the desperate, it's the broken. The Bible says, I don't want sacrifices. He says it's a broken and a contrite heart. Mephibosheth got to the table not because he was good. Mephibosheth got to the table but because he was broken. He came up out of Lodabar, not because he had it all figured out, not because he had a perfect marriage. He came out of Lodabar because the king noticed that he had a weakness. And the spirit of God is saying the same. Those that I'm going to bless, those that I'm going to work miracles for, those who I'm going to open up Red Seas for. These are the individuals that don't mind acknowledging that they got broken issues, that they have brokenness in their lives, that we have totally removed the shame off of having problems. All right, so I want to help us right now. All right? We're going to take this 
ACES questionnaire real quick. We've done this before, but, I, but, we, but, but Dr. Sedlicek, my, my mentor and uh, the director of the uh, uh, Masters of Divinity program and psychologist and just mental health beast, added some additional questions to help us to really see ourselves. Now, this is what we're going to do today. Do not write your name on this. If you wrote your name on it, raise your hand. We're going to give you another one. All right? Or just mark it out in such a way where nobody can see it. All right? Here's the rules. I need everybody to pay attention. Do not write your name on it. Say it one more time. Do not write your name on this. This is what we're going to do. You are going, we're going to go through this. You're going to answer the questions honestly. All right? You're going to total your score. And then what we're going to do is we're going to gather all of the questionnaires, and then we're going to redistribute them to everybody in here. All right? Okay, now some of y'all are nervous, but your name ain't on it. Hello? I don't want nobody to know my business. They won't know if your name's not on it. All right? They may know my handwriting. <laughs> Y'all ready? Are you ready? All right, watch this. Let's go. All right, this is about childhood trauma, things that have happened to you from 0 to 18. All right, I want to make a quick point using this questionnaire as an illustration, okay? All right, if you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, let's answer the question. I think they're on the screen as well, so if you want to go through, you can. Question number one, did a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in any, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? If the answer to your question is yes, put a one in the line beside it. All right? If the answer is no, just mark zero or put nothing, okay? Number two, did a parent or other adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard? Lord, help the black people out. <laughs> and don't, listen, don't judge the answer. Don't say, oh, no, it was, it was, it was corporal, but we believe. No, no, just answer the question. Did a parent or other adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Yes or no? Number three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you, are y'all still with me? Yeah. Ever touch or fondle you or have you, or, or have you, have you touched their body in a sexual way or try to or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal sex with you, mark either yes or no by simply putting a one or zero. Holy Spirit, I'm just praying that you would just, Father, you know our intentions right now. Just praying that your spirit will move. Number four, did you often feel I believe that the truth will set us free in the name of Jesus. Do you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Or your family didn't look out for each other 
feel close to each other or support each other. We believe you came from that kind of environment. Mark a one with yes or leave it blank or put zero for no. Number five, did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you? Or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or to take you to the doctor if you needed it? May I go to the next one? Number six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? May I go to the next one? Number seven, was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes or often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife. Number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic, or who used street drugs. Number nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member attempt suicide? Was a household member depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member attempt suicide? Number 10, did a household member go to prison? Did a household member go to prison? All right, now do me a favor. Questions one through 10. I want you to add up all of your ones, all of your yeses. And right where it says, this is your A score, write that number there. That's one level. We're about to go to the next level now. All right, everybody together? Everybody together? All right, can we go on? Can we go on? All right. Number 11, did anyone in your family exercise dominance or control over other family members to the point where others felt they had no voice? Did anyone in your family exercise dominance or control over other family members to the point where others felt they had no voice? That was 11. Is it not on the page? Oh, is there no line? Oh, there's, is that what's missing, a line? Okay, so we'll just write. Don't circle it. Well, you can circle it. You're just going to have to count. Okay. You still have to count regardless if you circle it or write a one. Doesn't matter. Circle it. All right. All right. Or add a line. Thank you. Number 12. Were spiritual writings such as the Bible used by parents or other significant leaders to make you see things their way 
or to control your behavior or was a parent or primary caregiver committed to ministry to others to the point that your needs were neglected? Number 12, were spiritual writings such as the Bible used by parents or other significant leaders to make you see things their way or to control your behavior? Was a parent or primary caregiver committed to ministry to others to the point that your needs were neglected? Number 13, were you bullied at school over time physically, verbally, or through cyber technology without effective intervention from parents or teachers? Were you ever bullied at school over time, physically, verbally, or through cyber technology without effective intervention from parents or teachers? Number 14, as a child, did you experience the death of a parent or sibling? Did either of your parents abandon the family? All right, and that's an either or, but it would give the same answer, all right? As a child, did you experience death, the death of a parent or a sibling? Or did either of your parents abandon the family? 15, were you exposed over time to war or famine? or been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD? Were you exposed over time to war or famine or been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder? Number 16, were you raised in a neighborhood where there was frequent gang activity, violence, or other activity that resulted in your feeling unsafe? Were you raised in a neighborhood where there was frequent gang activity, violence, or other activity that resulted in you feeling unsafe? Number 17, did your family live in abject poverty or were they homeless? Some of y'all didn't know y'all was in abject poverty. And some of you didn't even know you were homeless living with aunties and stuff like that and family members. If your parents did not have their own place, you were homeless, all right? Didn't know any of that, right? Did your family live in abject poverty or were they homeless? What's abject poverty, Pastor? Worried about the basics in life. Number 18, did you feel pressured to perform in school or in other ways in order to earn your parents' love or approval? or to prove your own value and worth. We'll read that one more time. Did you feel pressure to perform in school or in other ways in order to earn your parents' love or approval or to prove your own value or worth? Almost done. Number 19. Were you a student at school where there was a school shooting, hostage situation, or a similar terrorist threat or action? Were you a student at school where there was a school shooting, hostage situation, or similar terrorist threat or action? 
Number 20, did your parents or another close relative or friend commit suicide? Did your parents or, uh, or another close relative or friend commit suicide? 21, did you experience traumatic or regular mistreatment or abuse due to your race, gender, sexual orientation, or culture? Did you experience traumatic or regular mistreatment or abuse due to your race, gender, sexual orientation, or culture? Number 22, were you raised in a country where there was government control of religion and other aspects of life, or where dissent was met with force or imprisonment? Were you raised in a country where there was government control of religion and other aspects of life, or where dissent was met with force or imprisonment? All right, some of y'all went ahead and you finished ahead. There's always those students. All right. All right. Add up your scores and put it, add up the scores from that section and put it in the, in the box. Actually, it says out of 22, right? Yeah, so add up all the scores and put it in that final box. All the yeses. All right. And when you're done, hold your, yours up in the air, and I need some volunteers to come and get them. Yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Forgive me. But this is just, actually, we don't need this. All right? We don't need this. Not for what we're going to do. Collect them quickly. All right, we're going, to get, we're going to do two things, and we're going to let you go. But there's something that I want you to see. All right, have we gathered up everything? All right, quickly, hold it up in the air. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Let's gather these quickly. Quickly, quickly. Quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. There's one up in the front. We got one up in the front. All right, now everybody that has them, come forward. Everybody that has them, come forward. All those that gathered them up, come forward, come forward, come forward, come forward. Quickly, 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 quickly. Now most of you, I watched you, you were in sections. We went to various sections. Some of y'all were all over the place, but it's okay. If, you, if you'll do me a favor, like, like, like I was going to say spades, but, I, but like the Uno game, I want you to uh, shuffle. Shuffle those for me, all right? And then I, once you have shuffled them, once you've shuffled them, by God's grace, nobody will get their own. I want you to go to a section where you did not gather. Hey, Hold on. It's exchanging like Exchange. Well, you could do that. Still go to a section you did not gather. You can exchange whatever you want to do. The goal is to get everybody... The goal is to have everybody to get one that they 
that's not theirs, all right? All right, quickly, let's go. Pass it out to somebody. Everybody gets one. Raise your hand if you filled out one. How about that? Because some of you didn't fill out one. It doesn't matter. Just pass them out. Go ahead. You got yours? They didn't put their total. That's not the end of the world. It's neither the time of probation either, but it would have been nice if they put their total, but even if they didn't put their total, I want you to just get a sense here on what we're dealing with in our church. Does everybody have one? Quickly, 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 take one, pass it down. Even if you got to do that, take one, pass it down. Raise your hand if you don't have one. That way we can move swift, swiftly. Those of you who are online, some of you guys were taking it. It's cool, but you can't have the full experience unless you come to Grace Community. <laughs> God bless the experience you're having. No. But if you want it, we can send it out. We'll, we'll get a link. All right, is everybody good? Everybody good? We did all this for one reason. Okay. All right, everybody check this out. Listen very carefully. What I'm going to do is, the, the, the purpose of what we're doing is I want everyone, sometimes we have a, a sense that some of the things that were read do not happen in the church. Or some of us make judgments about people and their behavior and don't recognize that everybody has a story behind their behavior. God, I'm just hoping that this will create empathy in the body of Christ. That we'll see that most of us, if not all of us in here, have had something traumatic happen to us. And we're not even talking about our own lives. We're just talking about stuff that happened between 0 and 18. All right? So this is what you're going to do. And please be obedient. All right? Actually, I'm going to go easy on y'all. I'm supposed to make y'all stand, but I'm not. Somebody said, amen. <laughs> Exercise is good for your mental health, though, by the way. <laughs> All right, here we go. Just raise your hand, okay? And then when your hand is raised, I want you to look around. Uh, did a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, and act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? If someone put a one down, raise your hand right now. All right. Keep them up. Keep them up. These are individuals that were abused physically, verbally, or in some type of way by their parent or an adult in the household. All right. Number two, did a parent or an adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you ever uh, or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? If, you, if their answer was yes, raise your hand. Number three, did an adult or a person at least five years older than you 
ever touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way, try to or actively or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal sex with you, if the person's paper that you're holding answered yes to that, raise your hand. Have mercy. Did you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? If, you, if they answered yes, raise your hand. Did you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you? Your parents were too drunk or too high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? If they answered yes, raise your hand. Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Raise your hand. Was your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Sometimes or often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard? Ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or a knife? If they answered yes, raise your hand. Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? If you live with somebody like that, raise your hand. Was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? Raise your hand. Did a household member go to prison? Did anybody have a paper whose score was higher than five? Did anybody have someone who has a paper whose score on the first section was higher than eight? Based on all the studies, if your score is higher than five in the first ten, then you're subject to heart disease. Um, it takes 20 years off your life. You're more at risk to mental health challenges such as depression, suicide, cancer. There's a book, if you just want to reference, there's another book called The Body Keeps Score. Basically says anything that ever happened to you, not even physically, anything that ever happened to you emotionally, your body keeps score of it. And it affects your health in every area. All right, let's go to the last section. Did anyone in your family, we're going to do one more thing after we go through this. Did anyone in your family exercise dominance or control over the other family members to the point where others felt they had no voice? Raise your hand. Were spiritual writings, such as the Bible, I should have put it in here, or the, it says spiritual writings. So. Any spiritual writings. Were they used by parents or other significant leaders to make you see things their way or to control your behavior? Was a parent or primary caregiver committed to ministry to others to the point that your needs were neglected? Raise your hand. Were you bullied at school over time physically, verbally, or through cyber technology without effective intervention from parents or teachers? 
As a child, did you experience the death of a parent or sibling? Did either of your parents or did or did either of your parents abandon the family? Were you exposed over time to war or famine or been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder? And just remember, you're raising the hand for what they put down. Were you raised in a neighborhood, Lord have mercy, where there was frequent gang activity, violence, or other activity that resulted in your feeling? Were you born in Cleveland? Did you, were you raised? Feeling unsafe. Raise your hand. Did you feel pressure to perform in school or in other ways in order to earn your parents' love or approval or to prove your own value or worth? Raise your hand. I'll skip, I'll skip one. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Thank you. Did, you. did your family live in abject poverty or were they homeless? Number 18. For the sake of time, if you felt pressure to perform or had issues with approval or felt like you needed to prove your value or self-worth, raise your hand. Were you a student at school where there was a school shooting, hostage situation, or similar terrorist threat or action? Mercy. I was shocked about that. Did your parents or another close relative or friend commit suicide? Did you experience traumatic or regular mistreatment or abuse due to your race, gender, sexual orientation, or culture? Were you raised in a country where there was government control of religion and other aspects of life, or where dissent, dissent was met with force or imprisonment. We have one hand. Interesting. Three hands. Three hands. Okay. I want you all to do this right now. I want you to turn your chairs around in groups of four or five. And I want you to share with your group. Turn the chairs around. Mess them up. It don't matter to us. We got to break them down anyway. Turn your chairs around in groups of fours and fives. And I want you to, I want you to answer a couple of questions. Ask one another, what do they feel about what they have witnessed? And what should we do differently as a church? What do they feel about what they read and experienced just now? And what should we be doing differently as a church? All right, take a few minutes and discuss it amongst yourselves. What did you learn from this experience? What did you learn? And what should the church or what should you do differently?
Make sure you give everybody a chance to say something. Don't hog the mic. give everybody a chance to share. Ninety seconds. Ninety seconds. You need more time? Ninety seconds. Ninety prophetic seconds. 